0: Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Hurrington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go right to the beginning this morning. As we look at the Sanctity of Life Sunday, this is the month that we uh, observe the sanctity of human life. Michael Pearson wrote an article for CNN back in September 2015, so some years ago, about the growing number of women who were speaking publicly about their decision to abort their baby. Seattle writer Lindsay West took a screenshot of that post and added the hashtag, ShoutYourAbortion. One, one woman wrote on that hashtag that her decision to publicize her decision to abort her baby was about the normalization and putting an end to the shame. And that she had not had any inexpressible level of gratitude and questioned why wouldn't I be happy that I was not forced to become a mother? Another woman stated, I have never wanted to have children, so I had an abortion. I am thriving without guilt, without shame, without apologies. On another matter, another report stated that there was a record-breaking number of law enforcement officers that were shot in line of duty last year, 2023. 370 officers shot, a 60% increase since 2018. It also included that 46 of those police officers were killed. In other news, Pope Francis has called for a universal ban on surrogacy, saying that an unborn child should not be turned into an object of trafficking. He writes, I consider despicable the practice of so-called surrogate motherhood, which represents a great violation of dignity of the woman and the child based on the exploitation of situations of the material's needs. A child is always a gift, he says, and never the basis of a commercial contract. He discussed threats to peace and human dignity in that article. Again, we can even go back to October 7, 2023. Hamas attacked Israel, killing over a thousand people abducting over 250 survivors and released hostages and medical personnel have observed and recorded the brutality inflicted by this terrorist group While many around the world even last night and still today celebrate hamas and their actions this is not surprising or should not be surprising to you and i this world is full of cruelty and brutality toward other humans it boggles the mind how 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 terrifying humans can treat one another history is replete with wars and conflicts murder and hate It's not unusual to open the papers and see mothers killing their children, not through abortion, but just murdering their children or children murdering their parents, fathers who are neglecting their families, nation against nation, political, social, and cultural, and economic divisions battle for control. Of course, the root or the reason for all this turmoil you and I know is the wickedness and sinful heart. This unhealthy root affects every part of our lives. All the situations described above are the results of devaluing human life. This devaluation is demonstrated in more concern about environmentalism or globalism or animals, anything else other than human life. Human life is moving down into the list of things of what should be considered valuable. However, to you and I, this is a problem that you and I face each and every day. But there is a solution to this problem. The solution is found in the word of God. The Bible tells us that humans are God's special creation, whose purpose is to mediate God's kingdom here on earth. This morning, we are observing Sanctity of Life Sunday. 42 years ago actually a little bit longer than that on january 22nd of 1973 the supreme court ruled in the case of roe v. wade that a child in the womb is not to be considered a human person in january of 1984 president ronald reagan designated the third sunday of every january as sanctity of human life sunday to coincide with the university of or the anniversary, excuse me, of Roe versus Wade. We are one week earlier, but there's a method to my madness. But since that drastic decision, over 60 million babies have been murdered in America under the sanction of law. Generations of children of every color, economic, and social class and gender have been brutally slaughtered. Fear, negative impact on the mother's life, financial instability, relationship problems, and an unwillingness to be a single mother are just some of the most common reasons for choosing to abort a child. And though there may be some here in attendance or listening that are not yet convinced, I believe that the majority that are here today do not need to be convinced that abortion is a serious and a, so- and a sword stain on our nation. For many, this is a political, social, or private issue, and the church has no place in the table of this conversation. However, it must be stated here today with all conviction that that is not true, especially since we live in a state that has made itself an abortion sanctuary state. It is now part of our um, tourist attraction to bring tourists here. The Bible is the standard bearer of all that is moral and right before a holy God. Amen? The church must make a stand. The Bible must be open and the word of God be heard. We say that any argument to the contrary is rubbish and not of the truth. To answer the question about when life begins or what determines life or how you and I must value life, we must go back to the Bible and God's revelation under which we all will one day be judged. With that, Father, we thank you for this time that we can observe this. We thank you that we're still in a free country where we can speak against that which is sanctioned by law. And Father, it is just a a tragedy that in California it is still the law of the land. It's not only that, it's something that they have embraced wholeheartedly. But not only is it abortion, but it's a full, total uh, devaluing of human life. And so, Father, I pray that as we approach this subject, open up our minds and hearts, may we see in ways in which we ourselves have devalued human life. And Lord, that you may be glorified, that we may respond to your word. In your name we pray. Amen. As you look here on the monitor, you see that the Westminster Confession details God's purpose in creating man. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Let's say that all again together. Ready? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So in other words, there is no sense in which we should ever try to determine any life that God has created. The gospel primer states that God has created us with the intention that we might glorify him, finding our souls delight in him and by living in joyful obedience to him in all of our ways. Our existence is not an accident or a series of random events that culminate in the human race, but a planned, purposeful existence that comes from the will and the mind of the almighty God. So I want to give you four observations about man or four observations about human life. Now, when I use the term going on here about man, please know that that word man in Hebrew means human life. It means all of humanity. Do not bring the genders into it. We're speaking of all humanity. So I'm going to give you four observations about man. Number one, the creation of man was unique the creation of man was unique it was different from all else what god created so in genesis chapter one i believe you should be there it's easy to find look at chapter one look with me at verse 26 and 27 then god said let us make man in our image after our what likeness that's very important you may want to underline that in your bible thank you And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And here we are. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now I could take that last sentence and we can go to another topic, but we're going to stay there. Wayne Grubman in his systematic theology writes that out of all of God's creatures, out of all the creatures God made, only one creature, man that is, is said to be made in the image of God. And what does it mean mean to be made in the image of God? And I think that's a good question. God answers, or Grudman answers that question by stating, the fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God and represents God. When God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, the meaning is that God plans to make a creature like himself. Both the Hebrew word for image and the Hebrew word for likeness refers to something that is similar but not identical to the thing it represents or is an image of. The word image can also be used as something that represents something else. We are not God, but we are like God. We are made in His image. This understanding of what that means that man is created in the image of God is reinforced by the similarity between Genesis 1.26 where God declares His intention to create man in His image and likeness. And that of Genesis 5.3, you can turn there very quickly, but stay right there in Genesis. It says, when Adam had lived 130 years, he became a father of a son in his own likeness. After His image, And he named him Seth. R.C. Sproul writes, I believe it might be here on the monitor, creation in the image of God is what sets humans apart from all creatures. The stamp of the image and likeness of God connects God and mankind uniquely. That's important for us to understand. Out of all of God's wondrous creation, man is the only one who is sentient whether we're talking of plant life, trees, rocks, so on and so forth, the animals, the fowl, the birds, so on and so forth. It is only man that is sentient, meaning able to recognize, to be awake, to be cosmic, to be able to uh, give an understanding and able to give worship to God. So the creation of man was unique. All of creation was spoken into, in, into existence where man, life was breathed into him. Number two, man was created with special responsibilities. I believe you still have Genesis there. Look at chapter 2 and verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. We were given a great privilege and a great responsibility. R.C. Sproul continues by writing that man is given the ability and responsibility to mirror and reflect the holy character of of God in working and keeping in mediating his kingdom and rule on the earth man was given both the authority and the responsibility over all of creation to be fruitful to multiply and to fill the earth so we are created with special responsibility outside of all other creation number three Man was created and crafted personally by God. Job 31 and 35, and then verse 33 and 4 read, Did not he who made me in the womb, Job is speaking to his friends, he says, Did not he who made me in the womb make them, speaking of God? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And Isaiah, the prophet, cries out, but O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter, we are the work of your hands. Unlike the rest of creation, as I said earlier, we were not spoken into existence, but handcrafted by God himself. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, if you're still in Genesis 2, we read that then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. He formed the man of God from the, the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and the man, it says, became a living creature. We are created and crafted personally by God. Number four man was created with a purpose before birth scripture points this out several times the prophet on isaiah declares the lord called me from the womb, from the body of his my mother he named me he who formed me from the womb to his servant to bring jacob back to him and that israel may not or may be gathered to him For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. Jeremiah, in a famous section, says, But I formed you in the womb, or before I formed you in the womb, God says, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. David himself, after he served the purposes of God in the book of Acts, is recorded that he served the purposes of God in his own generation, and he fell asleep or died and was laid with his father. Now, just that passage right there. Many of you have heard me say before that is probably the most wonderful epitaphs we can ever have. For those of you who just put that on my gravestone, he served the purposes of God and his generation, and he died. Nothing greater can be said of any man, of any woman, of any person. What we find from these scriptures is that God has personally created each individual. Uniquely for a divine purpose. Each person carries the image, the likeness of God. What Scripture calls us to understand is the dignity then of the human life. Human dignity is derived from God. It is God who has assigned value to man. We are the God's image bearers. And I say that because we now live in a society that is putting different values on human life. Now, that has always been the case. You know, the rich, the slave, you know, the children, so on and so forth. Maybe what they might consider ethnicity or what race. Now we have it's called intersectionality. Where if you're at this level of an oppressed person, this is the value you have. And we're seeing that now with the different types of DEI programs that they have and ESG and so on and so forth. What was it? Just, uh, just this week, the military said that they are looking to drop the amount of white military officers in the, in the armed services to only 45%. They're putting values on people. And we've done that for generations. We ourselves many times can be guilty of that, as we shall see. Former fire chief of Atlanta, Calvin Conkren, he hit the nail on the head when he confirmed that every person without exception, every person without exception possesses the image of the creator and has inherent dignity and worth. Now, as I say that, I recognize that there are some people that you and I would not give that to, a murderer someone who might uh, desecrate children. We might say Hamas, they are are not worth it. And of course, that's the problem. Hamas does not uh, value the dignity and the value of an Israeli life or of a Jewish life. But even the most decrepit of God's creatures has a value and a dignity. Owen Stratton writes that humanity, as you see here, has been given value, meaning, and hope by God himself so who are we to take that away or to diminish any life or the dignity of those that bear the image of god the problem is is that we even the church and as christians those who profess christ have not upheld this scriptural truth Instead of pointing fingers at the defenders, the providers and participants of abortions and others who devalue life, we must understand that we are all guilty of not observing the dignity of human life. And to show you that, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, the first book of the New Testament. Recognizing the truth that you and I are image-bearers of the Creator, we can now understand the Old Testament law of you shall not murder found in Exodus 20, 13. But as you and I go to Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse 21, we see that Jesus now interprets it fully what was meant by that passage in Exodus 20, 13, in that law. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 21. You have heard it was said of those of old, you shall now murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire you have heard it said that was the phrase of jesus as begins now christ is not redefining or reinterpreting the law but correcting the misinterpretations and the abuses of the teaching and the application of the law from the traditions passed down through the generations. Murder, the unjust killing of another, is equated with our angers and insults and even contempt of others. All things that we harbor in our hearts towards others, resentment, bitterness, malice, slander, anger, all of those things is devaluing another person. It's easy to point out the works of terrorists, the slaughters of Israelis by Hamas, human trafficking for sex and cheap labor, abortions of a convenience, and racism that fuels prejudice and bias. It is easy to point that out into others' lives. It's much harder to investigate, though, the depths of our own hearts to see how we have devalued the dignity of those around us including our spouses, our children, our bosses, our co-workers, and even the strangers that we encounter. We must recognize how sin has destroyed the value of life. For me, myself, I've learned this the hard way in just dealing with those that use our property and parking lot for Sleeping purposes. Randy and I just cleaned in a lot this morning, ran into two families, two, uh, four people who are living in their cars. And it's very difficult to understand. And many times we want to drive them away. But then in the end, we have to look and say, wait, there's a value in each and every life. Whether or not they put themselves in that position or not. Now, before I go on, this is not meant to be a political message. But it's a scriptural message with political implications. And that's important for us to understand. King Lemuel, in Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, writes of the instructions taught to him by his mother. Here, I believe that I might have it on the monitor. He says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth and judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So you and I must open up our hearts to see in which ways have we been devaluing the life of others. Now, what I'd like to spend the rest of this message is giving three implications of valuing life. I think you understand the value of life is assigned by God. We've just given you three or four ways in which we are created different. And our dignity is found and assigned by our Creator. So I want to give you just three implications this morning of how you and I should live this out, how we should think and how we should make decisions. So the first one is sanctity of life. Valuing others includes racial hatred, hatred, bigotry and prejudice. Tomorrow, as a nation, we will recognize and observe the efforts of civil rights activists martin luther king jr now he may be a polarizing man in many circles and rightfully so but he did bring a light, bring to light a very dark period of american history that was marked with ungodly attitudes and behavior towards people of different color race and nationality jesus taught us to love our neighbor as yourself. And then he proceeded to form us that our neighbor includes all men and all women, no matter the social, ethnic, cultural, economic, or political barriers and divisions that we have created to assign values to others. I'd like to give you one editorial note that when we speak of race, I must say that there's no such thing as different races. This is a Darwinian concept that has no grounding in scripture and has led to the devaluing of human life. All of humanity finds its beginning with Adam and Eve, though through the centuries different ethnicities have developed. The American Heritage Dictionary defines ethnicity as of relating to or a characteristic of a group of people that share a common culture or natural heritage and often sharing a common language or religion. These differences, though, as real as they are, should not impact our love for our neighbors as Jesus teaches us through the parable of the Good Samaritan. Loving our neighbors involves loving and caring for all people, despite any and all differences. As Neil Shevney writes here on the screen, I believe, racism is a sin rooted in pride and malice, which must be condemned and renounced by all who would honor the image of God in all people. So how might this find itself in? Well, many times it can find itself where we're thinking about uh, Hamas, uh, uh, anti-Semitism as going around, or even as we're thinking of, the, of our borders. Very political, but it's also a spiritual thing. If the grounding of our anger is found in people from other cultures coming here, then that, would be a, that could very well be a sinful attitude that you and I must repent and confess. And then look in our hearts. Is our anger due to a nation that is not upholding its laws? Or is it the fact that they're different people from us? And we need to do the hard work. Seek me, O Lord. See if there be any wicked way. And so even though these things are, are not political, they do have political implications when we talk about our spiritual heart. So the sanctity of life includes not only abortion, but it also includes racial hatred, bigotry, and prejudice, ways in which we devalue other people because they are different from us, and we have a history of doing so. But sanctity of life also includes justice without partiality, the justice for taking of a life. The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible points out that the Apostle Paul clearly states in a universal context that God does not show partiality or respects a person in His judgment of the works and the individuals. Because of these references to God's fairness in refusing to respect persons, regardless of what their, their economic, political, so on and so forth, God's people are not to perverse justice by showing partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great but they are to be fair in their evaluations of cases when required to make such judgments. Let me go to scripture to show you what we're sharing. In Leviticus 9:15, I believe it might be here. It says, "You shall do no injustice in court." Amen. That's what we want. We want justice. He goes on to say, "You shall not be partial to the what? To the poor, or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. We are now living in a situation, especially since 2020 with George Floyd and Michael Brown and some of the others, where we have lost this concept. Now we have gone from one extreme to the other. Before that, there were times where we were were giving, devaluing those on one side of the equation, and now we've gone the other way. And now we live in a system in which it seems justice is very... Far. They are not to corrupt justice by showing respect to a person because of the fear of man or because of bribery. The favoring of the rich and the sliding, even humiliating of the poor on the basis of external appearance is expressly forbidden in the New Testament, but also to show favor in any sense. James 2.1 says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. We are not to put different values on different people. This justice includes the requirement of reckoning against those who murder. As an assault against human life, it is considered an assault against God himself. Genesis 9 says, Right after the flood, he tells Noah, And for your lifeblood, I will require a a reckoning. For every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. In other words, judgment is going to be given to men to judge other men who murder. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. He's speaking of the death penalty there. In Exodus chapter 21, whoever strikes a man, God says, so that he dies, he shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall in his hands, then I will point for you a place to where he may flee. Again, God is, is giving some outs there, but he's saying this is how life is. This is how we value life. To not be for the death penalty, to allow criminals to to run freely for justice, not to be there, is to devalue human life. Life should be so sacred that it must never be destroyed without just cause. To disobey God in this manner is to devalue life. Now, I, I know I don't have much time, and it doesn't permit me to say much, but obviously we need to look at our system in which we have death row. If you're going to have it, then you must make sure that it's without partiality and it still considers human dignity. Even for those that are the most decrepit and worst of society, they're still made in the image of God. Then, of course, sanctity of life. The reason why we do celebrate this month and this uh, next week is because it includes abortion and other reproductive measures. Over a million abortions are performed in America each year. Reports last year indicated that over 40% of all pregnancies in New York end in an abortion, a rate that increases almost 6% of pregnancies among African-American women. The vast majority, 90%, of unborn children diagnosed with Down syndrome are now aborted. I can't remember which country. It's one of the. It's one of the Scandinavians, I believe. They, they, uh, yes, Norway. Norway. Uh, they, they are proud of the fact that they no longer have any Down syndrome children that are born in their country. That's only because they abort them. Sex selection abortions are now legal in the wide-open right to abortion declared by many states after the repeal of Roe v.ersus Wade prenatal testing of other characteristics means that parents can now abort a baby that does not meet their specifications and try again now here is most abortions we would say yeah but it's for rape and what about all the exceptions most abortions are done for convenience sake i'll stand by this one article pointed out that single women who earn forty-seven thousand plus a year abort about 32 percent of their babies. Single women making eleven thousand a year or less abort only eight point six percent of their babies. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalms one thirty nine. This is a sad note that we would kill. We would devalue life for convenience sake. John Piper Piper makes a very important observation when he writes that Psalms, both Psalms 139 and Job 31 emphasize God as the primary workman, the nurturer, the fashioner, the knitter, the creator in the process of gestation. He goes, why is that important? John Piper answers, is important because God is the only one who can create personhood. Mothers and fathers can contribute some impersonal egg and some impersonal sperm, but only God creates the independent person. So when the scripture emphasizes that God is the main nurturer and shaper in the womb, it is stressing, as you see here on on the monitor, is that what is happening in the womb... Is unique work of God, namely the making of a person. From the biblical point of view, gestation is unique work of God fashioning personhood. There are no accidental pregnancies. There is no random pregnancies. Each one is planned and made by God. In Psalms 139, look at verse 13 we read David's recognition of this wonderful fact. He says, "For you formed speaking of Yahweh, you have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made." wonderful are your works my soul knows it very well my frame was not hidden from you when i was made in secret intricately woven to the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book was written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was what none of them the living well pregnancy center this week publish a pamphlet for the sanctity of life. And in that pamphlet, they point out the fact that God values all life. No matter the stage of life, he calls Christians to defend the defenseless. As Christian, it is vital that we protect the lives of the unborn children. It does not matter what the world may call embryo, fetus, or whatever. It is a design image bearer of God. We must recognize that. However, this is how many consider the value of unborn children. I'll show this and then go through it. It's hard to see, but it's a man carrying three boxes. It's labeled medical waste. It's filled with babies who were murdered. You can go from that, please. But that's what they think of those that, speaking of Stetson here just, what, three, four months ago? in some cases, right to the point of birth. There are now philosophers who are, who are now propone, pro, proposing that after-birth abortions should be legal. This belief has brought me, I'm going to speak of Rob here at this moment, I'm not speaking for the elders, I'm not speaking other than just my own personal belief. This is, bro, belief has brought me to the opinion that we ought to support the total ab- ab- abolition abortion no exceptions no reasons this belief has brought me to that josh dosh testifies that the abolitionists have convinced me he says the unborn deserves equal protection under the law incremental measures merely regulate when and how murder is legally permitted this is unjust consider me an abolitionist that's what we have done, even in states that would be considered conservative and against, or portion of being pro-life. We now just regulate when and how murder is legally permitted. I would say life uh, sanctity of life includes abortion and other reproductive measures. I'm not going to say much on this because I didn't really prepare for it, but I would say to those of you, especially our, our couples here, our married couples is I would consider IVF and many of the other surgeses and other things is something you need to consider strongly, biblically. We can speak more of that at another time. But in all reproductive measures, we must consider what God's will is for us in that regard. But here all attacks on the dignity of human life. Finds its origins, and listen to this, in a demonic assault on the image of God. That's what we're seeing here. This is where the gospel must come in. Again, from the beginning, the reason for our creation is so that we can worship the creator. Revelation 5, 9-10 says, Worthy are you to take the scroll, speaking of Christ, and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for, for God from every tribe and every language and every people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Why has God created us? So that we may worship Christ. So that we may be ransomed from our sin and brought and worship him for he is worthy. Philippians says that God has highly exalted Christ, bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God is seeking worshipers, As scripture tells us that the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. That's why I believe it's a demonic assault at the image of God. For Satan desires to kill all and any potential worshipers of God. God is calling all human life all of humanity from every tongue, tribe, nation, and gender and race to worship Him and to declare His glory, amen? That's what He's called us for. And so you and I are to value and give dignity to each and every person that we come in contact. To summarize this morning, we learned that God's glory is revealed in birth. It's revealed in diversity, It's revealed in justice, which is a protection for those made in the likeness of God. However, we have failed to honor God by aborting our children, of giving prejudice against our brothers and sisters, and being and and putting out fair and unjust uh, punishment, or unfair and unjust punishment. However, God restores God's glory and the dignity of man through the forgiveness of sin that's found in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ we find the dignity and value. We see the reconciliation that we can have with God and others and the rehabilitation in our character and our nature. We can recover that. So many will ask, what can we do? I believe in the sanctity of life. I believe in those three things. I I may struggle, and yes, I, I see now that maybe I'm struggling with anger and bitterness, resentment. Those things are devaluing. So what can I do? where our first response is to contemplate such evil, should we pray to God that he would eradicate all devaluing of human dignity in all its forms, especially beginning just within our hearts. As I said, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way. In what ways have I devalued others? It could be the homeless. It could be undocumented. It it could be your own children, your own spouse, your own coworkers, your own boss. It finds itself in the very heart of man. We can support the living well pregnancy and love life with our time, with our giving and prayers, as well as reach out to those of other ethnicities. We should be a church that welcomes all, that encourages all to come into the house of God. For all who proclaim Christ are our brothers and sisters. And number three, we must proclaim the God, the gospel faithfully in our circle of influence as ministers of reconciliation, hence why I would encourage you to come to our ACC class in 945. The only solution to this problem is not a new president, a new Congress. It's not new laws. Yes, each and every one of those things are important, but it begins in the heart of each person as they begin to see upon the masses with compassion as Christ had and we share the gospel. There is hope for this broken world as we come to conclusion. Humanity finds its hope in the works of Christ, through whom, we have, whom, through whom the Father has offered faith, hope, and love. It is through this that we can find forgiveness and grace for our own sin. Let us reject the spirit of this age, and the values it represents, and embrace the dignity of every person created in the image of God. Let us do that with all of our heart, our soul, or our mind. There's one popular meme. You might have seen it. It says it starts first, we overlook evil. Then we permit evil. Then we legalize evil, then we promote it. Then we celebrate evil, then we will persecute those who still call it evil. In many forms and fashions, we have already begun doing that in the world. Even the church itself, the Catholic church, has already acquiesced to this meme, to the spirit of the age. But as you see there, Isaiah 5.20 says... Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Here we are in the second week of January of our year 2024. Let us begin to stand firm in the word of God and all that it calls us to do. May we commit this morning to value each life and every life praying that God may deliver them from evil and draw them to himself as true worshipers. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to make their way up and Randy for pastor's prayer. I'm just going to ask you for a moment, would you just bow your head very quickly? Again, as we always want to do, we want to take a moment to pause and consider these words, consider the words of the scripture. We want to differentiate between God's word and just Rob's mere opinion. But I pray we have shown how we are valued in this life because we are made in the image of God. <laughs> and that any devaluing of human life is an assault against God himself. But yet God came in the fashion of man to deliver us from this evil. I pray that you come to him this morning. Would you respond to whatever it is the Holy Spirit may be calling you to do at this time. Many would you come and close us.